Resurrection is known in Christianity as the central tenet of the faith. It appears less known or understood that the themes of making the dead alive, however, are also found in Jewish traditions. So, what is this new life of which we speak? Sheol, walking corpses, fire insurance, and long lines in an amusement park this week on A Rabbi and Pastor Walked In. So we've picked a really easy topic, right? There's <laughs> <laughs> no controversy involved at all. No. Just resurrection of the dead. Which Just is... resurrection of the dead. <laughs> Something we all know about, firsthand knowledge. Yeah, we can talk about this, no problem. Yep. <laughs> One of the things that uh, that we want to talk about is, is how strange it is a concept for Jews, especially liberal Jews, who are mm-hmm. not taught anything about resurrection of the dead because it's just not a part of our belief in any way, shape, or form. Um, as a matter of fact, if you want to sum up the liberal Jewish opinion of the afterlife is in two things. For some people, they're sure there isn't one, so that's fine. And for others, they say, well, whatever is going to happen, it's in God's hands, and what I'm sure it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. And that's the general opinion that most Jews have. But most of us do not have an opinion of dwelling on earth in a physical body after we die. Right. But our traditional Orthodox members do. Mm-hmm. And it's part of their prayers every day, three times a day, over and over. Mm-hmm. And it's part of many other things. So there is a phrase for it. And we, um, in the liberal movement, have to figure out how we take that particular phrase in one, at least one of the prayers and make it be meaningful today. But we'll get there in a second. Well, and I think uh, for Christians who kind of peer outside looking in at Judaism, modern practice in the United States and maybe in Israel as well, if they have some familiarity with it, it's easy to look into that practice and view it as a monolith. So I'll often get questions like, well, what do Jews believe about? And then, you know, insert blank. And I'm like, which Jew That's right. on what day of the week? How much time do you have to listen? <laughs> right? right? That it's that the same diversities that we have present within the family of, um, of God in Christianity is also present within the family of God in Judaism, right? So um, you can have Jews kind of really very distinct opinions about such. And even the word, you know, liberal Judaism, I think Christians might think, well, what does that mean, right? Does that mean that you are all Democrats? Are you all progressive, <laughs> right? So I think maybe some of the uh, broad strokes of um, how the Jewish practice, at least in North America, sort of divides up. That would be helpful probably to our listeners. I should say just one thing that the, that liberal conservative thing confuses a lot of Jews too. Sure. So we've had members of our liberal participatory congregation who believe that we must all be politically democratic liberals as, as well. And Right. Um, no Republicans. No allowed. Republicans. Yeah, we have <laughs> right. lots of Republicans in the of congregation. Of course you do. <laughs> right. And so right. like the religious definition of liberal and the con- tradition and the political one are, mm-hmm. are slightly different, but it's not totally different. But now we can go into that one in another conversation. Well, I think minimally we can say um, within modern Judaism here in the United States, when you're speaking, you're predominantly speaking from what point of view for yourself and what type of rabbi have you been over your community for the last year? You're not orthodox in terms of that strict tradition. You know, if people are picturing Fiddler on the Roof or um, Chaim Potox, you know, books right. or something, that that's not how you dress, right? You're not wearing a dark hat. And you you don't um, have dark clothes. In fact, no, not at all. <laughs> um, so uh, I think that's 
confusing for a lot of Christians. They don't understand the distinctions between the different practices and expressions of Judaism. Yeah, and the same thing goes for Jews. Sure. Oh, there's so many Christians, and, and there really, there right. really, really are. Right, right. absolutely. I, I had friends when I was first living in Jerusalem back in 2007, and I was becoming good friends with a, a younger set of Jews in Israel, of Israelis, and we'd hang out, and then I'd get introduced, like, she's a pastor, she's a pastor, and they would look and say, but you're not wearing all black, and you're not walking around the old city, and why don't you look like a nun? And I didn't know that women could be pastors, and all that stuff. And then I even got a "Well, I wish my rabbi looked like your pastor" kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was shocking for them to not—they had just never seen, particularly in Israel, and they hadn't traveled much outside of Israel yet. They hadn't seen Christians that weren't Orthodox. Um, Catholic or Ethiopian or Armenian Christians, because that's all they had experienced in the old they city. They dress up pretty good in the old city. They just Everybody does. Of, yeah, Jews, everybody Christians, and Muslims, there's a higher dress code of those that are Much leading. <laughs> so right. getting us back to resurrecting the conversation. Sure. We, <laughs> I want to talk about the words first, because in English, it's surrection. And that means to stand. It comes from the same Latin word as surge, something that stands or a wave surging by. There are two kinds of surrections. There's a resurrection, which is standing again. Right. And there's an insurrection, which is a standing against. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So which is kind of interesting. Um, but in Hebrew, it's not any connection to again. Right. The Hebrew word is tchiyah, which is, comes from the word chayim, which means life. And tchiyah means to make things be alive. So when in our in our prayer that actually talks about it, it's called Michaye, who makes alive Hametim, the dead. Now the question is, what does that mean? And this is the issue mm -hmm. of how liberals mm -hmm. and traditionals do this verse. A traditional congregation has no problem with resurrection of the dead, coming back to life again, and therefore they'd say Michaye Hametim, and they mean dead people being brought back into life. Right. But it doesn't necessarily limit you to that because can mean to bring inert things mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. life. And mm. since God did bring life into this inert universe, right. it, that's how our congregation uses it on one level. The other is to, bring, to enliven somebody who's been spiritually dead. Right. So we're not talking about physical enlivening we're talking about mental spiritual moral enlivening mm -hmm. and for, for me that's how i use the term most often um, because i know there are a lot of people that are soul dead out there and it's right. been my job and my uh, challenge to help them find their life right. and their soul and so they can believe again in, in the future but in any case concept in hebrew is not resurrection it's enlivening the dead in english it's resurrection i don't know what it is in greek or latin but it doesn't really matter because we're talking about english-speaking christians and english-speaking jews here right it's an interesting um note that you you just had about sort of like that enlivening again and, mm -hmm. and that how that comes into your practice and expression within your own faith community because we have a passage in John chapter 10 where Jesus says, you know, the, the thief comes in order to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come so that they may have life and life to its fullest measure or a life abundant, where you get like churches named Abundant Life and mm -hmm. other things like that. And that I think there's, so there's that concept of sort of a, a present 
not capital R resurrection, but a, a present view that um, when you are in relationship with God, uh, for Christians, when you're in relationship with Christ, that you have this opportunity for new life right now in this very moment, right? right? The old has gone, the new has come, Paul says. You are a new creation in Christ. That um, that those that were soul dead, that were barely sort of making it through, um, as we look back on our lives and we think, wow, what wasted years, we can look to a God who can say, I can bring life back to you in the present and even try to reach in and redeem things that you thought once had no good purpose. So that all of that, I think we also have in, in Christianity the concept, but we don't call that resurrection. Oh. Um, in Christianity, when we talk about resurrection, I think it's a little bit similar to how the American Standard Dictionary uses it, right? So resurrection, the first meaning is just a rising from the dead and a returning to life. And in our Christian story, we have times and places where um, Jesus brings a dead girl back to life. He brings a widow's son back to life. That's not a resurrection, although they have experienced in some ways a resurrection, but ultimately they'll die again. Right, but that's like uh, when Elijah and when Elisha, Elijah and Elisha are people back to life exactly. as well. Those are exactly. miracles one time, or you can just say they're medical miracles who knows what they are right we have um lazarus who's been dead several days and jesus goes up and says lazarus come out and he even has a conversation with lazarus's mourning sister uh, martha just previous and says you know martha what you know why are you weeping and he's like well my brother's dead and he goes don't you believe in the resurrection of the dead and she says yes of course i believe in the resurrection that in the world to come right and he goes i am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me will not die but have eternal life so this kind of concept of um i don't know it's like not a reanimating we bring someone literally back from the dead in our christian story is distinct from the second entry in the american standard dictionary which is capital R resurrection and there it is the rising again of Christ on the third day of the crucifixion and then the the third entry I think Christians also believe in is that ultimately there will be a resurrection of the dead a bodily resurrection that we all participate in so when we talk about resurrection from a Christian standpoint of view we're talking about primarily the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection that we're looking forward to in the world to come. Um, not necessarily just a, a rising of the dead. That that we would say, well, they were brought back to life, not so much that they, although the word resurrection still works, but we typically refer to it in a capital R kind of sense rather than lowercase r. Well, one of the things that's interesting is that, I mean, we when it comes to actually Jewish concepts of resurrection, they're not very different. Right. than Christian ones because Christian ones developed from Jewish ones. And one of the biggest surprises that I have from my congregants is to find out that Jews ever believed, not just do, right. do but that we believed in resurrection of the dead. And... Um, and in fact, it was a big point of conflict in the first in the centuries just before the time Pharisees of Jesus. And, and Sadducees, right. Pharisees believed in resurrection of the dead, and they also believed interpreting the Torah. And Sadducees did not believe in resurrection of the dead, and they did not believe in interpreting the Torah. Which is why they are sad, you see. <laughs> <laughs> they did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. Yes, well, that works that in English. <laughs> <laughs> that, that it does only work in English. Um, but that conversation is actually part of our gospel stories as well. We have Jesus engaging. 
with Pharisee and Sadducee. And in all theological aspects, Jesus is Pharisee um, just down the line. He believes in the resurrection of the dead mm-hmm. and teaches it. He believes in the full inspiration of the Torah and the Tanakh, the whole of the Hebrew scriptures, and believes in angels and demons. And the Sadducees also didn't believe in that. Um, and there's some really fun, heated theological debates that are recorded in our New well, Testament. Well, you and I have children, so we now know that demons do exist. <laughs> Mine is an angel all the time. <laughs> but I only have one. That's if I added a second, I'm sure she would. It's those four by four the coalitions. Four. You know. Anytime you're outnumbered, I think it's you're that. in deep trouble. Listen, right? as soon as you have one kid, you're outnumbered. <laughs> I have one little one too, yeah. but I have an older one, but she uh, she can hold her own. She's, she's not going to mutiny against us, so we're okay so far. But there there are verses in the Bible, the, what you would call the Old Testament, mm-hmm. what I call the Hebrew Bible, that are that do talk about coming back to life, but they're not specific as to life on earth. Right. So in Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2, God is portrayed as Morid. Sha'ol Vaya'al, which means who can send you down to Sha'ol, which is death, and bring you back up. Uh, the uh, very famous verses in the end of Daniel, which are very late, they're, they're Maccabean right, time, right. Um, that, uh, that say that some people who are sleeping in the earth will rise up, some to everlasting glory and some to everlasting mm-hmm. shame. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't talk about where it happens or how it happens. The same thing in Isaiah 26, your dead will live again, and my body or our body, the verb is plural, but the the noun is singular, will get up. That's the closest and most specific statement of resurrection, because to stand up again after having been dead, that is... Uh, would be resurrection. Now, the, the rabbis had a big problem with resurrection, and it wasn't whether it did or it didn't. It was, what are the mechanics? <laughs> right? So I, I think there's also, a, isn't, there, isn't there a parable in the New Testament about how a seed is planted and it comes yes. back up naked or whatever it is? It, mm. um, a seed's pl- yeah, there's a parable of the sower. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we have the situation. Somebody asked the rabbi, do you come back naked or do you come back with clothes on? Right. And, and it said, well, it's like you're buried in shrouds, right. and then you come back with a heavenly body, and it's like a seed. So you plant the seed in the shroud that's around it, and it comes back up a plant that's mm, on its own. Interesting. And then there are other types of questions, like if you die horribly in a fire or some other thing like that, do you have to come back like that? Right. What if you were really, really old? Don't you get to come back younger and do it again? Right. All, all those different Right. Questions. In fact, in... Um, and that's, the, all in the, that's all in chapter uh, 10 of, San, of Talmud Tractate Sanhedrin. Right, right. Yeah. And uh, so we have a, one of those theological conversations between Jesus and the Sadducees. And it's about the resurrection of the dead. And it's Matthew chapter 22. And it says in verse 23 and forward, you know, that same some of the Sadducees came to him. And they are the ones who say there's no such thing as the resurrection. It says in our text. So they put to him a question. Rabbi, Moshe said, if a man dies childless, his brother must marry his widow and have to preserve the man's family line. There were seven brothers. The first one married, then died. And since he had no children, he left his widow to the brother. The same thing happened to the second and the third and finally to you all seven. You know, there's a rule that after two times, you're not supposed to make it happen a third. <laughs> oh, well, so right. there you go. Um, well, this was not of that rabbinic discussion, I oh, guess, okay. right? Like they followed a different rabbi. Um, after them all, the woman died. Now in the resurrection of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all married her. 
And Jesus answers them, and this just cracks me up. The reason you go astray is that you're ignorant of the Torah. <laughs> That's his response. You're ignorant of the, the scriptures of the Torah. See, I told you if you'd had two people right. die, you wouldn't <laughs> do a third. <laughs> right. Um, he says, for in the resurrection, neither men nor women will marry. Rather, they are we like the angels in heaven. And as for whether the desert, this is Jesus' answer to them. As for whether the dead are resurrected, which is the real question they're asking, right? So he's like, okay, well, we'll deal with your the first, the premise of your argument, but the second part is, haven't you read what God said to you? Which again, I think is hilarious to say to a, a scholar of the scriptures. Haven't you read this? Haven't you read the text? Um, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Is he not the God of the dead, but of the living? He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So the fact that Jesus's point here is the fact that he says, I am the God of Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov, that it's this present tense is the argument of Jesus in this passage, that these people are still living, that, they're, that they've been resurrected, that their life proceeds on in some form or framework. And so then he says, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. We have a verse similar to that, where Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are in some other plane already, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. Moses is too. Right. When you're dealing with God, time is screwy. <laughs> <laughs> exists outside of that. Yeah, God exists out of time. That's right. God right. is not in our time zone. We're in God's. And mm -hmm. so, um, yeah, the the concept generally, as I was taught it, in Judaism, traditional Judaism, is that when you die, you go into some sort of a deep freeze, as it were. Right. But it doesn't really matter how long it lasts because when you come out of it, you're out of it. Right. It's not like you were never in it. So it's just a matter of an, a convenient time where everybody is ready for a final judgment. Um, mm -hmm. And so when Which that happens... Which is where Catholics Daniel, get the idea of purgatory, right? That there's right. some stage or place or time or element or other dimension of waiting until everything's... So I'll right. tell you what the Jewish version of purgatory is, and it has to do with, in a regular death, when you're buried and they would put you in the ground or they put you in a burial cave, they'd notice that it would take about a year for your mm. body mm -hmm. to be uh, decomposed from right. the bones and the bones be left and they would then put the bones in different places. But anyway, um, and what they said was that all of that decomposition is felt by the soul. Mm. Interesting. And so that's your purgatory because nobody's perfect. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, uh, and the, the more people who are praying for you and saying Kaddish for you, right? the more that anesthetizes the pain that your soul has to go through. Interesting. And the amount of time you say Kaddish, you mourn a parent is a year, but you only say Kaddish for a parent for 11 months. And the reason for that is one of the few actual concrete practices that comes from a Jewish belief in resurrection is that um, the, or in, 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 in an afterlife, which is that uh, you don't know whether or not you're, parents were really really bad they don't mm -hmm. always tell you everything mm -hmm. and so you don't know if they're as bad god forbid as hitler or they were mm -hmm. just a normal schmo so um you don't say cottage for 12 months because if you were to do that it would be a say that your parent is so bad they'd need it for the absolute limit that they can get wow so you don't you stop at 11 months huh <laughs> <laughs> With the presumption that they're not... They're not that evil. They're not that bad. They're not that right. bad. But you keep doing it for 11 months, in, in the case of a parent, uh, f for all the goodness that it can have and that it will make a difference in their next world. For non-parents, no matter who it is, it's no more than a, a, a month hmm. of saying Kaddish. 
Yeah, Christianity lacks that type of uh, structure for how we mourn those mm-hmm. losses, and it's one of my places of holy envy is to stand in a in a service at a synagogue on the weekend and see that those that are mourning mm-hmm. are still being held up by their community and remembered. I think in Christianity, um, at least North American Christianity, there is a quick tendency towards uh, trying to get to a point of celebration as quickly as possible. Um, and that's not always really helpful. I've often told uh, my congregants, um, I'm your pastor if you want somebody that's going to stand and cry because I, I want to presently weep and I want to mourn. And I, and I think uh, my reading of the text and my reading and understanding of, um, of Jesus is that he wept. We have stories of him weeping. I think it's okay. I mean, if the Son of God himself can stand there and weep because his, his friend Lazarus has died, then I am also permitted to weep um, and so often um, putting mascara on the day that I am going to officiate a funeral is a bad that idea. Is, well, no, it, it's a big leap of faith. <laughs> a, it's the big it's hope. A bad idea. <laughs> it's a bad idea. <laughs> and, um, but I have had people come to me and say, you are my pastor because you'll cry. And we're not moving. You can still hold both. I think there's a place for both rather than dismissing um, either side, right? You can celebrate the good, particularly if it's a a long life well lived, right? You can celebrate the good of that. Or if it's the the sadness of a life cut off too soon, but maybe the suffering is over. Let me say another thing that's that's similar about that. This, the the mascara made me think about it, (laughs) which is that we cover the mirrors in the house when somebody dies. And the majority reason is that um, you shouldn't be spending your time preening. Right. You know, however you look, you look horrible. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. You right. should look horrible because right. why are you doing? But the other thing is that if you look in the mirror and you're mourning a parent, mm. speaking of resurrection of the dead, mm. you will see them looking back out of the mirror at you. Wow. So when mm. my mother died, my father died, <clears throat> I found that, the, I mean, I, I knew what I was supposed to do. I'd never really had to do it. I'd right. been to some real distant relatives funerals before, but the first one that I really, really, really went to that really, really hit me was my father. And, mm. And my brother and I look just like each other and like mm. my father. And when mm. we, we, clo- we covered the mirrors, even though my brother was not so crazy about that. But I really found it helpful because I didn't want to look at my father looking at me out of the mirror. Mm. It was just too creepy at the time. Mm. I mean, now I look at pictures and it's a of whole course. different thing. But, yeah. but that's a very, um, thinking about walking the earth again. Mm-hmm. Um, then, you know, I, I understand that people want to have some place where it all works out. I certainly do. Right. I would like to see it work out because there's certainly been a lot of unrequited murder in this world and uh, just horrible. Um, we, we want for some justice. We right, want but I don't know knowledge. where it's going to be. Right. You know, I mean, I, I don't think that um, that walk, I mean, because all the concepts of resurrection that you hear are not the concept of living again. Right. They're right. really not. Right. Because it's enough some kind of a spiritually perfect body you're not going to marry you're not going to do right. what, what something's this you, different this you call living so okay. i mean no i mean <laughs> sorry to say mm-hmm. it in a jewish accent but but the uh the, <laughs> you're permitted to do that i think <laughs> but 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 that's the biggest problem for me that is I, if i were to think a, a way where it would work out it would be different hmm. and it would be and that's why i say most of us who are liberals say whatever God's got in store for us, you know, I can't. We can't pretend to know. No, we can't prove on it. We have um, 
some fairly structured theology about this in Christianity, you know, of a of an expectation of a bodily resurrection. And in part, we have that because of the stories of Jesus resurrected, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, we have a story of him uh, passing through the wall of a locked room. Like he appears after his resurrection, he's been crucified, uh, resurrected, and he appears in the locked room where the disciples are. So that's weird. But he is bodily resurrected, even though there's that oddness to how that body is functioning. Um, it's not functioning like mine does. And uh, doubting Thomas, right, one of the disciples is able to go, and he says prior to this moment, unless I put my hands in the nail marks, right, unless I touch his side, I will refuse to believe this. And he says, go ahead. Jesus says, go ahead. Yeah, and and in all of this, he's put your finger here, look at my hands, take your hand, put it into my side, don't be lacking in trust and have trust. Then he says, you know, blessed are those who don't see me but believe anyway. And so in in Christianity... And I would say blessed are those who doubt and skeptical and test. Right, it's lovely that we have a story of doubting. And this isn't the only place. At the end of the book... Doubting affirmed. Doubting affirmed. Yes. And it is also true at the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Um, he shows up in the Galilee, and, it's, and the disciples are there, and it said some worshipped and some doubted. I'm like, thank you. Right? I, I want both of those to be there in that moment, and there are times where there's no doubt, and then there's times where there's a lot of doubt, and there's times where there's lots of worship, and then there's times when the worship in that sense just doesn't feel as present for me so that to see in my own faith story um, room for all of that but also still trying to hold on to that hope of the resurrection that is to come that that there is a way uh, and a place where this all um, somehow sorts itself out and for Christians we read that in the book of Revelation which is an echo of Isaiah and Daniel as well and in other places where Paul himself will talk about if there is no resurrection of the dead, we have no hope. And he covers this big portion on resurrection in, in the letter to Corinthians. Um, so we, ha- we have that. But I think one of the things that you and I have talked about before that might not be as commonly known is that prior to this resurrection event in Christian history, um, there was actually a very strong belief and hope in the resurrection of the dead and in the world to come being set to rights in first century Judaism yep. and earlier, uh, first century BCE, second century BCE Judaism. And I have a couple passages from Second Maccabees chapter 7, which was written about the time period where uh, the Antiochus Epiphanes was overthrown. It's Hanukkah. We just talked a little bit about this. And the, there's martyrdom of seven brothers. And as each of these brothers is being killed, they they have this desire to say to their oppressor, to, to this king, um, Antiochus, they want to tell him sort of, you know, why it's all going to be okay. And he doesn't have the ha- the last word, even though he's killing them in these horrific ways. And so in, in 2 Maccabees 7, in verse 9, it says, You accursed wretch, you dismiss us from this present life, the brother says, but the king of the universe will raise us up to an everlasting renewal of life because we've died for his laws. And this concept that you might think you're king, but there's a greater king. Um, you might want to be demanding our worship, but we have a higher authority that we're going to be answering to. And ultimately, that king, the king of the universe, has the final word. And after that, second brothers died in a brutal way. The third brother says... Um, even though they're going to cut off his hands and his tongue, he says, from God, I hope to get them back again. So he perceives a bodily resurrection where somehow things are sorted through, which is part and echoed into our Christian story we just discussed. And then we say, we have it again in verse 14. Uh, One can't choose 
cannot but choose to die at the hands of mortals and to cherish the hope God gives of being raised again by him. For, but for you, king, this wicked king, there will be no resurrection to life. The, the idea that there's some justice there at the end, right? That not only will I be able to find hope and justice and victory in the end in spite of these earthly circumstances that are destroying me, but also those that are evil will have to account. And, and we have those same kinds of stories in Jesus' teachings, um, and particularly in Matthew chapter 5 when he separates the sheep from the goats, um, and in and other portions where there will be an accounting for, for how people have lived and what they have done. And it proceeds on in Second Maccabees, and the mother herself who says, gee, I, I don't know how these kids came to me. They all came from God in the first place, and here we are. But God in his mercy is going to give them back to me at the end. Sort of a little bit of the, the hope that we see in the story of Job, right, at the end, that even though, and that's a different thing, this woman is talking about her children actually being raised again from the dead. But Job has this anticipation or hope, or at least the end of the story is that, that some things get restored, even though it's, it's different. It's not the same kids. <laughs> we have a story that there's a whole section of what are, there are some things that are like 1 60th of something else, so you can get a taste of it in this right. way. And that sleep is 1 60th of death. And hmm. so every morning we have a prayer, I thank you, God, you brought my soul back to me. Hmm. Your, your, um, hmm. your faith is, is great. And that's the line from Lamentations. And then, so you have that. Right. And then you follow that with two prayers. One where it must be the soul talking to the body, hmm. praising God for a body that works. Hmm. And then the soul praises hmm. the body praises God for the soul which is pure hmm. so that every morning if we do these prayers it's as if we're rehearsing resurrection what it feels like hmm. so that if you just try to put yourself in that space I mean I, I don't think that you talk about with your people you don't go into a doctrines of the physicality of resurrection I right. mean so you just leave no. it as a mystery but mm-hmm. but what I'm saying is that this is if you take these three prayers mm-hmm then you can experience on some level right dramatically what it might be like to find yourself resurrection some morning that's interesting is that in the amidah as well no 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 not in the same way no this no, is okay. this is right in these are the early morning prayers which are my favorite part of the prayer book because they're all very free form and they're not replacing anything except good ideas i would say one last thing that when i look at you mm-hmm. i look at a resurrected person now, you may say, what's that all about? And the answer is the same thing. I have a look at myself in the mirror. You're made out of dead stuff. Right. Your parents were both living when they conceived you. Hmm. But everything else hmm. since that moment has been your amalgamation of dead stuff. Hmm. And they were dead stuff, too. That is, everything in us was dead. Hmm. Either we killed it to eat it, or it was something that something else ate. And they killed. And so all of us, <laughs> this whole planet, has been resurrected a billion times in every single living creature within it. So when I hear these words, well, you know me, I'm right, kind of a right. science-oriented person. Right. When I hear these words about resurrection of the dead, I know I'm walking around with people like that all the time. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But I'll tell you, this is the, 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 the kicker. Uh, Isaac Bashevis Singer has a story called... Um, Yechid and Yechida. 
Uh, it depends on the transliteration. It may start with a J. But in any case, it's about two souls in heaven who fall in love. And they're condemned to death because you're not allowed to do that in heaven. So they're born. Oh, interesting. And they walk around the world of corpses until they die and go back to heaven. Huh. And be born again. <laughs> and so, and, and that's, that's uh, Yechid and Yechid, I mean, uh, the singular part it's your singularity it's your soul so it's another hebrew word for soul but it's uh it's a really amazing story and it really changed all of my view of what i was looking at when i realized that he was doing that and if you look at some frito Kahlo and some other mexican artists mm -hmm. the day of the dead kind of stuff right. you'll see that kind of dead coming back to life uh, the same kind of stuff well and, and part of what i hear you echoing is this awareness of um of all of this happening all the time, constantly, the time. right? Yeah. Um, earlier today, we were I was walking with my um, two-year-old, and she said to me, out of the blue, because I think with the rain, she, she found some earthworms, and so she was interested <laughs> this, you know, a few days ago, and so she's been thinking a lot about earthworms. And she, out of the blue, she says, do you know that we're walking on top of worms and their homes all the time? And I was like, Yes, that's true. We are, and and but I I had this moment where I was thinking. Well, she's thinking of like the slice of Earth, right? And how in the strata, where are we on these places? But it's this concept that there's decomposition happening all the time, right? There's new growth and life happening all of the time, and then there's people who are in these states of of living and walking around, um, and then so all, all of these places happening all the time. That's right. And in in the Torah, it's a humus. Becoming a human. Right. You've got such a great sense of humor. I, I do. <laughs> uh, we have, um, in the Bible, we have, in the Hebrew Bible, we have these uh, comments where it says, and he was gathered unto his fathers. Right. And that can sound very much like, you know, this concept of um, you, you died, but then you were brought to the bosom of Abraham. You were gathered unto the fathers of your family. And it's also a technical term for a burial process, which was what you were alluding to earlier. That as the body decomposes, the bones are then gathered. Um, in femurs the, with femurs, tibias with tibias. It could be like that. Or in first century um, Israel, during the time of this period that we're talking about a lot of Jews and Christians together before things went awry, um, there were ossuaries, there were bone boxes, right? So you collect the bones of that individual and put it in a box inside of your family tomb once it decomposed. But earlier from that, like first temple period and earlier, uh, Jewish burial, um, Hebrew burial in, in the land of of Israel had to do a lot more like a little bit more like a cave. It's kind of the, the thing that Gabi Barkai excavated, right? Like Marshpella. Yeah. And and as the body would then be laid out, those bones would be taken and all of the bones pushed into where all of the bones of the right. of the father's ancestors had been as well. Gathered to your father. Gathered to your father. So this isn't just this idea that we interpret today because we're so far removed from burial process. We're so far removed from seeing dead bodies, from having to manage that within a a pastoral or rural setting, right? What do you do with the body? How, where do you place it? You don't have, do you have a family tomb, all of that? You know, we call people and they come and they have formaldehyde and all these other processes where it's very sterile from us. But for the ancients and for the people in the first, first century, this was very tangible. And so when we read those texts, we think of some theo theological statement. When they read them, they thought of a physicality. Um, and I do too. Yeah. And we can, again, do both. And I think... Um, as we continue to think through resurrection and 
the hopes that we have for what is to come. And, and you have talked about this a little, what do you hope happens where if you could write it out, what would it be? But ultimately for both of us, for you and I, this is all presupposition. We, we haven't had to figure this out yet. Nope. It's, we have no personal experience with what happens. We have our texts that inform us. We have the stories um, and we have hope, I think both of us in uh, a loving divine force, a, a creator God that we've had some experience with that we trust we're going to be okay because we'll be in God's hands. That's the only thing we can say. And it's a good place to be. In the meantime, work like hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine has a t-shirt that says, Jesus is coming, look busy. <laughs> There's a lot of work for us to do up until that moment. And ultimately, Ari, you know, I've talked about this before, but I've, I've said many times that for me, it's not going to be heaven if we're not able to have these great, fun theological debates along with Moses and Abraham and all the others um, with one another. And, and we're just trusting that the good, the good things that we so deeply love here that are parts of God's creation, um, where things are being set to right and we get glimpses of the rule and reign of God, the kingdom of heaven, that that will be not dismissed and taken away from us where we're just floating on a cloud in some world to come, but that there will be a, a new, for at least Christians, we believe, a new heaven, a new earth, a reordering of the way in which um, things are meant to be. And I believe that the good things that are so beautiful of God's creation here, um, including wonderful friendships, are, are there to last as well. Yeah, we always say, our people say that the good of all nations get to go to the whatever is next for the good people. It's mm. not a matter of doctrinal correctness. It's mm. a matter of, are you a good person? Mm. Do you treat other people well? You know, I've been thinking of what you just said, that you know, when, when cartoonists want to show you what happens in the afterlife, there are always angels, you know, in clouds right. or whatever <laughs> right. there is, right? Right. And so all the jokes are about that. But imagine if it were... If they were showing you something a little bit more radical, which would be just people walking around in the world. Wouldn't that be crazy? Which would be back to what I like to talk about all the time in my Bible study is garden to garden, right? That we have a story in our text where we have a beginning where there was harmony with between God and creation, his, you know, God's creation, God's, and then humanity with one another and also with God and, and with creation itself. So there was all of this that was right um, there was free will, there were conversations, there were discussions, but all of that sort of set to right. And ever since things went sideways, there have been a lot of mini gardens along the way. Um, we can see um, some gardening starting to happen already with Noah. We can see gar the land that God gives Israel is very Edenic and, and described in a lot of those sort of initial ways. Deuteronomy takes a lot of that that concept in and forward. We see even there's some themes in, in the building of the tabernacle and then the building of the temple where we have some garden and, and land type connections there. Um, Song of Songs is entirely a picture of harmony between humanity again and creation and, and God and, and God's people, all of that. And for Christians then, we have a few extra gardens too. We have the Garden of Gethsemane. We have the Garden Tomb these breakthrough moments where we start to see that things are starting to be set to right um, as a result of the resurrection of, of Jesus. And then we have a garden being brought back again in Revelation 21 and 22, where the leaves are good for the healing of the nations and the river of life flows in. And all of that Genesis language is pulled back in. 
it is it would be nice if those were the pictures we saw rather than people floating around with tiny baby wings and cherub bottoms and harps <laughs> if we saw that instead there will be more work to do more tending of the garden so we should end this by saying that we, when we were preparing for this um, session we realized that even though a next world is interesting to both of us and is a motivating mm -hmm. light it's not really determinative in how we live our lives we live our lives based on the examples that are set for us to live our lives and we don't do it for reward and we don't do it right. for the hope of a heaven it's not fire insurance it's not not fire insurance or a ticket to a heavenly amusement park in the sky no it, no it's not at all the crowds just imagine the crowds but anyway <laughs> is there a fast pass <laughs> That's right. but no it's it, the fact is that we do this on various end lots of da of time and days but most of we spend our lives thinking about how we can be better and how we can do better right in this life and so we may get together at another session and talk about what is the motivating force for resurrection and what would you really want or what mm -hmm. i really mm -hmm. want if i were resurrected if i were if there were a heaven if you were in charge if we were in charge <laughs> and so we'll get that the next time we talk